Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 53, produced 18 May 2018. No doubt you're familiar with the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. It's a statement that certainly rings true when discussing the story of sea glass. Bits of broken bottles, jars, and other glassware discarded and tossed into the sea only to be returned, not for a recycling deposit, but for someone to find and carry away, to be repurposed, to begin life again. I'm Glenn Moyer, and in a moment we'll meet just such a someone. A woman who finds sea glass along the Scottish coast and turns one man's trash into another's treasure. Here, under the tartan sky. in Scotland is going to be braw. The stage is set and the curtain has gone up on Scotland's Year of Young People. It's 12 months of events intended to inspire all of Scotland while allowing its young people to shine and showcase their diverse talents and contributions to their communities, their country and the world. Whether you're young or just young at heart, why not visit and see all that Scotland and its young people have to offer in 2018, the Year of Young People. The sound of waves rolling on shore along a stretch of coastal beach. For most, it's a sound we associate with a holiday. Relaxation, a getaway, sun and fun. But this is also the sound of Mother Nature at work, creating art from rubbish. All around the world, coastal beaches are dotted with bits of rubbish, but you know that. Only in this case, some of that rubbish is collectible, even when repurposed, potentially valuable. I'm talking about sea glass. What begins as a broken bottle, a jar, or even a bit of window pane, once discarded into the world's oceans, it is then magically transformed into nature-made gemstones. Jagged shards of glass can spend years, decades, even centuries being tossed around by the currents and the tides, bashed repeatedly against rocks and then dragged back and forth, back and forth over the sandy sea bottoms, as Mother Nature shapes, smooths, and polishes her works of art. Eventually, these once man-made pebbles of glass, in the many colors of green, white, brown, aqua, blues, even rare blacks, purples, pinks, reds, yellows, and oranges, mermaid's tears, they are romantically called, are finally washed ashore by coastal waves there to await rediscovery. Sea glass is, perhaps, the ultimate in recycling. Some pieces will wind up in other glass jars or a vase, a pretty collection to sit in a window and twinkle in the sunlight. More will be sold to crafters for all manner of projects, and some, bits that find themselves deposited on the beaches of Scotland, will find their way into the workshop of Gaynor Hebden-Smith. Gaynor is a Scottish-born lass, a former healthcare worker, 
who for almost the past decade now has made a living creating jewelry out of sea glass, turning one man's trash into another's, or usually his wife's, treasure. Her work can be found in more than 100 gift shops across Scotland and online at her website shop. It's not really work, though, for as Gaynor says, she's living out a childhood fascination. I grew up in Dundee, which is a little bit north from where I'm staying. I live now. Um, and it was on the River Tay. The Dundee has the River Tay that uh, runs along. And we spent a lot of time at the beach just as kids, you know, you go out and have fun and things. And my grandparents stayed in a small fishing village uh, called Ochmethy, which is further north again, quite close to Arbroath. And they used to take us down to the beach every morning we, uh, that we stayed with them. My granddad would take us down to the beach. We'd, we'd be waking him up about half past seven in the morning to get him to take us down to the beach. Um, and I'd just go down and I'd, even as a young child, I would just lose myself in just looking at, you know, the sand or the pebbles or, and it was just something that drew me to it. Uh, there was no reason for me to want to be looking at the the sea glass and the pebbles and the sand, but I just was fascinated from a tiny girl. I liked the switch off it gave me. It allowed me just to kind of lose myself in my own thoughts. Um, so really, it was just something that I've always, just always been in my life. I can't remember not looking at sea glass and picking up things and bringing bits and pieces from the beach home. I've just, like I say, from probably from when I could walk, I was just always fascinated by it. So. Uh-huh. Um, it's something inherent or inbuilt in me, I think. <laughs> do you re- do you remember finding your first bit of sea glass, or is that too far back? No, I, I don't. I just, like I say, I can't remember when I didn't have little piles of sea glass around me or in my pocket or a little pebble. Um, I do remember when I was really young, I mean, under 10, um, painting a pebble with varnish so it looked like it was polished and trying to make it into a necklace for my mum's birthday um, so I've always but I can't remember the first bit I collected um, like I say it's just it's always been around me Wow! <laughs> I wish I could though <laughs> that would have been good <laughs> kind of a precursor then to what you're doing now if you were trying to, to create uh, jewellery as you say for your mum back in those days yeah, I, I mean, I never, I never would have dreamt that I would be sitting doing this today. That was, it was purely a, a hobby, and uh, I never thought I could have ever uh, made this my livelihood. But um, just shows you never give up on your dreams, eh? Yeah. How do you find sea glass? I mean, does it, does it glitter when you're walking down the beach? Does it reflect the sun, or, or do you have to literally walk around with your head down and and really looking at the the pebbles and the the sand? And how do you spot it? How do you find? I've never looked for it, so how do you find it? Um, it it's it's head down. Um, it's it's if you have two people that are looking for sea glass, they'll end up bagging into each other because you never <laughs> look up when you're looking for sea glass. Um, it it doesn't really. It doesn't reflect or shine it because once it's on the beach and it's dried out, it actually goes quite a, a matte colour, so it kind of blends in with the background. Ah. But depending on the beach that you go to, you can be on one stretch of a beach and there can be nothing at all, and then you can walk maybe five minutes down the coast and then there can be lots. And it's really just depending on how the tide brings the glass and the stones and whatever else it's bringing in it just depends how the direction it's coming in so um and it because i've been collecting it for so long i know the beaches where the glass is in abundance i mean you can go down and within 
half an hour your bucket's full that's how much glass there is um but it's it really is just your head down and just rummaging and looking and uh, and like I say if you get the right beach you don't have to go very far uh, to to have an awful lot to work with so. well Scotland is said to be one of the the better places around the world to uh, to search for sea glass, and, and the, the obvious answer to that is, well, duh. I mean, Scotland is virtually an island, except for the uh-huh. one, one land border with um, with England, but the rest of the, the country is obviously surrounded by the sea. But do you know, are there other reasons, or uh, is it because of shipping lanes or anything of that nature that that is uh, why Scotland is a, a prolific place for finding sea glass? I think probably being an island, yeah, that definitely helps. And you've got... Um, Obviously, the tides coming in, or the, co- the, the sea direction, sorry, coming in from all directions other than with the border to England. So it can carry, and it's amazing how far sea glass and, and unfortunately all rubbish that's in the sea can be carried. So you're getting it from lots of different places, but we've also got lots and lots of little islands that are ha- inhabited and uninhabited you know, around, surrounding um, Scotland. So all these places, unfortunately, We'd also discard in the past glass and rubbish and it would just end up in the sea. So you've got lots of little pockets of people discarding, which then floats over and you know gets washed up. Um, but also, there, I know from certainly where I stay, there was three glass factories along the Fife coastline. They're ah. all closed down now, they, but they, um, they all produce glass. And in the past, when the glass was produced... It would, and it didn't work out how it was wanted to be. You know, it didn't didn't end up as it should end up. It would often just get discarded into the sea. So and so they make things like little uh, blue bottles. They'd call it the Fife Blue. So you can find quite a good bit of blue along the Fife coastline, and that's obviously come from the production of these small blue medicine bottles from years gone by. Um, you also sadly find where there is a lot of pubs. Uh, bars, restaurants, there does tend to be more of your brown and your dark green glass, which would suggest in the past there's been an awful lot of, rather than possibly paying for the recycling services, it was maybe discarded in ways that Mm. weren't quite so environmentally friendly. Um, Thankfully, that practice has totally stopped in Scotland as I would say one of, I'm proud to be Scottish for its environmental, um, what's the right word, commitment. Um, but yeah, I think to, a lot of it's to do with littering and also to be doing with, with being an island where we've got sea coming in from three different directions. Sea glass is quite literally um, a trash to treasures mm-hmm. story because it is. Uh, it starts out as, as you say, discarded or broken bottles of all sorts, uh, glassware. I was reading even windshields, eyeglasses, anything with glass in it that gets discarded, mm-hmm. unfortunately, into the sea. Yeah, so it starts out literally as rubbish, and uh, uh-huh. and then over time it's turned into these little jewels that you can go down and pick up on the beach. It's interesting that you, you mentioned um, 
the beaches where you are being glass factories. We have a beach in California here in the United States that mm-hmm. is uh, is actually now a state park where, again, there was, I think, in the uh, 20s and 30s, there was a glass or maybe more glass factories and the same sort of thing. And the beach is so covered, it's a state park. And now you cannot go there and, and remove any of the glass. Oh, I know the one you're talking about, Sea Glass Beach. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'd, I'd love to go there. That's one of my, my dreams that one day I'll visit there. And make you know you make snow angels in the snow. Um, <laughs> well, I would do a sea glass angel. I would just lie on that beach and make a sea glass angel. That's my plan. <laughs> it, looks, it looks amazing. Oh, that's a brilliant image too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I was reading that sea glass. Some sea glass can take thirty, forty, even a hundred years to to form once it's lost mm-hmm. lost at sea, if you will. When you find and, and pick up bits of sea glass. Do you ever find yourself, you know, daydreaming a bit about or trying to discover what the provenance of that piece of glass might be, wondering what its story might be, where it came from originally? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. That's, I think that was half the fascination before I actually turned this into my, uh, my work. I, I would go down and it's finding it. And it is, it, that's when I was talking about you lose yourself when you're down at the beach. And just and it is, before you know it, you're thinking, I wonder what that came from and how did it get there? And who's touched it in the past and what was it used for and um and sometimes you can kind of almost work it out you know if there's if there's lettering on the glass or you can kind of work out where it's come from but there's a lot of pieces you'll never know but I think that's what's the kind of almost romantic side of sea glass where you create a story in your head of where this piece of glass has come and where it's traveled and how did it break that certain way I wonder what the waves did to make that glass break and then did it break more than once and there's just so many things that are connected with that one wee bit of glass you pick off the beach that you could you could lose yourself for hours just in that one bit and that's what I I just love about it because no, there's no right and wrong with sea glass when you pick a piece of sea glass up it's broken in a certain way for you know but by the conditions that it's met whether it's come up against the rocks or you know crashed against a wall or but each piece is just perfect in its own right. And that, that's that's what I love about uh, the, collecting the sea glass because you don't know the story behind it, but it's awful good to try and imagine. It's it, Most of it's probably quite dull. It's probably somebody just threw a bottle into the water. <laughs> but I like to think it came from some sort of like amazing pirate ship or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and there are pieces, I mean, you can find sea glass, I would assume, that, that can be a century or even centuries old. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I go to, uh, my husband's from Shetland, and when we've gone up to Shetland, now it's a really remote island. Yeah. Um, And the sea glass up there is, the colours are so vivid. I mean, they're, they're almost luminous. And you wonder where they've come from for it to be that that amount of luminous colour in one, this little tiny bit of beach in this remote island. And um that that's just fascinating because you you don't know if it's come from the Norway direction or if it's come from the Scotland direction and it's hard to travel really far for it to be able to settle on a beach in Shetland so it's um it is fascinating it's it's just uh, obviously I'm, I'm I'm going off on a tangent now no no that, <laughs> Sorry about that. that's fine well and you you mentioned colors and and sea glass I've never even seen a piece of sea glass. I've now seen pictures of it. And I'm over to Scotland uh, later this summer, and I'm going to probably take a stroll. I'm up on the Black Isle, so probably going to take a stroll down a beach or two just to see if I can find some. But um, but I was reading where it literally comes in every color of the rainbow, um, mm-hmm. although, if my research is correct, the, the greens and whites or browns are far more common, uh, blues a little 
less so. You mentioned you have a great source for blue, and, and I was reading where blue typically comes from um, medicine bottles or or poison, mm-hmm. goodness gracious. Um, and then it, it goes more to the red scale. The reds and the pinks are even rare. Mm-hmm. And if I read correctly, orange is the rarest color. Like you find that, I think Wikipedia was saying like once in every 10,000 pieces of glass that you might find. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's almost the, I mean, if you can imagine the whites are your milk bottles, vases, you know, anything that's clear glass, basically windscreens. That, so that's your white. So usually white to clear glass is what we use. So you find a lot of white. Uh, sometimes you can find white that's got pink hue and that's sometimes down to how the glass was produced. And from what I've read, the sunlight over the decades can change the white glass to a slightly pinkish shade, huh. very light pink. So again, it makes it gives you an indication of how long that glass has been in the sea and being washed up and down the shore. So, um, but yeah, it's a, and for every your, your your greens and your browns, so you're talking like your wine bottles, uh, beer bottles, um, and again, you look and think, well, they're, they're quite common. I mean, you know, you just need to walk down your supermarket aisle and you can see the colours of glass that you're going to eventually, sure. sadly, find on the beach. Um, and then your blues, for every sort of 400 bits, if you're lucky, you'll get a bit of blue. But again, in Fife, I mean, I still have to look for the blue, but we do get maybe a little bit more than that. But yeah, reds, well, you know, I've, I've collected sea glass all my life and I've got a very small collection of red because it's so rare and I've got one piece of orange. And you know, I, I mean, I'm down to the beach a lot and it's but again depending on you can go further up the coast um and nearer the glass factories and the the color yeah that you get a bigger selection of choice if that makes sense um but it really sadly it's to do with what what does man and woman use glass for you look at like say you look down your supermarket aisle and that's where it ends up sometimes in the sea so it's Whatever's mass-produced is what you'll find most of um, on the beach. Yeah, and it's interesting to read what some of the sources of different um, colors are. I noticed an article I was reading talked about there's a particular green that was what we would call here in the States, and I guess there too, Coke bottle green, because it was the green mm-hmm. that uh, uh, Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, um, RC Cola soft drink bottles were made of here and um we have a product i guess it's sold over there milk of magnesia um, and and it was made in a uh in a really nice cobalt blue glass at one time um so that could be a source and there was i was reading where uh vaseline jars apparently were yellow glass at one time Mm -hmm. so it's it's um to me it's very interesting to determine or to read about what the uses for different colors of glass were, what they were originally used for, and then how it you know, obviously turns into sea glass once it's turned into rubbish. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the Coca-Cola bottles. The, it's, it's, when it's washed up, it's a kind of lovely aqua It's a very sea-toned, ironically, color. It's very, and you, you find a lot of that, and you do think uh, there must have been an awful lot of Coke bottles at some point <laughs> thrown into the sea. <laughs> But there's there's a lot of aqua colour. Um, but we also had milk over here that sometimes would come in that colour of bottle as well. So, um, but yeah, the the blue the factories here that I was talking about, um, they produced what was called the Fife Blue, and that was the blue bottles that were used for milk of magnesia and the medicine bottles. So, ah. um, it's it, it's almost I suppose the colours you find it's a reflection of 
society and history in some ways of how they've used glass over the centuries and you know you can almost kind of see, get a small picture of um you know the, the glass used throughout the throughout the decades and centuries it's um, a wee piece of history. Yeah, a lot of history to be to be found there, of course. Collecting sea glass is quite a hobby, I'm reading. And in fact, here in, in the United States, we have the North American Sea Glass Association. And uh, it's know, so big, yeah. they put together an annual conference and publish a newsletter. Is there anything like that over in Scotland or the UK? No, nothing at all. I do. I, I follow. Um, I follow you, you, you over there in the US because you have a much more I don't know, it's just a much more sophisticated way of kind of logging it. And I think here in Scotland, I mean, I've there's a few people do what I do, um, but there's no there's no kind of collective of coming together. I think there might be at one point, but um, it's nothing like what you do across in America. You know, it's, it's, it fascinates me. I think I thought I was the only person that collected sea glass, and then it was like, oh, there's a conference dedicated to it. So it's amazing. So I love the fact there's people all over the world just have that same passion and, you know, that love looking at each other's finds and um, so on. No, unfortunately, there's nothing really like that. But from when I exhibit my work, the amount of people that come up to me and say, oh, I collect sea glass, and oh, I've got jars of sea glass. So there's plenty of people you know, in Scotland doing it, it's just uh, more of a hobby and, you know, not really not really doing much else with it, to be honest. So lots of people walking around banging into each other on the Scottish beaches, yeah. huh? <laughs> We've all got sore heads in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure there's sore heads in Scotland for other reasons as well. Uh, well, but... <laughs> yeah, but we'll not go into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you mentioned earlier, you're now, um, you earn your living. You've started a business, um, actually, what, nine, ten years ago now, uh, mm-hmm. Scottish Sea Glass. What led you down that path? How did What did you start out in life doing, and how did you end up coming to being an artisan who creates sea glass jewelry? Um, it was never, I mean, I, I pinch myself every day uh, getting to, to make Julie from Sea Glass, and it's a genuinely do. I of all because I've always been interested in arts and craft, and it's almost like a therapy from a young age for me. It just was my switch off. So collecting the glass, and then playing with the glass, and then coming home and making things. Not always from the glass, but just always making things, whether it was sewing or drawing or pottery or whatever. So I've always done that. I then um, had to decide what I was going to do for a a living, and I've always uh, liked helping people. Always. um, always been drawn to people that are needing a little bit of support. So I studied and worked as an occupational therapist for, oh, I think it was about 10 years. Um, and I worked predominantly with people with uh, learning disabilities and challenging behaviour. So I worked in a unit uh, that helped people with their quality of life and trying to you know, increase their function um, socially. Um, and with that, I used a lot of arts and crafts to help with uh, their progress um, and I loved that aspect of it I really did, it was just fantastic and then I pretty much burnt out I, I uh, took some time out to you know, look after myself for a while and in that I thought what have I always wanted to do and jewellery was one of them, I always wanted to be, you know, do jewellery so I went and did a small night class in it and I realised I was actually quite good at it and I enjoyed it and then I went on to study silversmith and jewellery making um, at college uh, for about a year and a half. And then I fell pregnant with my daughter, who is now 16. Um, 
and I decided I wanted to stay at home and look after them. And um, I had a son two years later, so um, Pollyanne and Ollie, and like say she's 16 and Ollie's 14 now. So when Ollie was just about four starting nursery, I thought I really need to get back to looking at working again. But I knew I didn't want to go back to the stress of working uh, for the NHS. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what 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 can I do basically? What how can I, you know, earn a living, look after my kids and not be stressed? And it just kind of came together. Um, I had, because my husband's an open water swimmer, so we would go down to the beach as a family together and he would be out swimming in the sea and we would be playing on the beach. And obviously my addiction to collecting sea glass, (laughs) I would collect my sea glass. And it just kind of came together. So I started working on my kitchen table um, just with what, what craft materials I had here and my jewellery equipment and... Um, went to craft fairs I thought see if people like it and they did and I was totally delighted and it's just grown from there I now don't do the craft fairs um, I'm, I'm not a good salesperson. I like to be at home making I'm not a salesperson. so I now sell uh, I exhibit twice a year at the big trades fair here the Scotland's trades fair which is in Glasgow and I sell take orders from the shops and I make the jewellery and I sell it to the shops and I take very private commissions and so far touch wood it's just gone from strength to strength to the point where um, I really can't take on much more work could never have thought I would have ended up doing this um, so there's not a day I'm not grateful for it that's for sure <laughs> well I was going to say you've clearly been very successful at it I was looking at your um your stockist list on uh, on your website, and by my count, you're well over a hundred locations throughout Scotland that are stocking uh, your jewelry, uh, including some uh, very well known places or places certainly that the typical tourist would recognize. Uh, mm-hmm. In the gift shop at Eileen Donan Castle, uh, you're in the uh, the visitor centers at places like Bannockburn and at Culloden. Um, I didn't realize that I was at Culloden last September and took a wander around the wee shop there, but now I'll have to go back this year and, mm-hmm. and see if I can spot a little bit of your sea glass jewelry there. Um, <laughs> what do you attribute that success to? I mean, you're not the only person in Scotland, let's be honest, who's collecting sea glass and turning it into jewelry. There are, a, I've found uh, through various web searches, there are uh, some other folks there who are doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But clearly you've been very successful at it. Mm, I- I don't know. I think it's a lot of hard work and a lot of good luck, to be perfectly honest. Um, I've always, when I when I get a good idea and I know it's a good idea, whether it was in when I was a an occupational therapist in other parts of my life and with my sea glass, I can see a vision and I just work really hard. I'm like a dog, you know, with a bone. It's uh, <laughs> I'm just so passionate about what I was doing and because I was enjoying it it's not like work it's like playing I get to play all day um so yeah I'd and and really for me it transformed when I started to go to the trade sphere the Scotland's trade sphere in Glasgow because that transformed it from standing at the weekends at craft fairs to actually I'm supplying the shops I don't have to stand and sell my jewellery anymore I can just sell it to other people to do that um, so that for me was a turning point where it became actually this could I could actually make a living off of this. Yeah. Um, so uh, there was never a master plan, believe me. <laughs> I, I wish I could see that. I had a five year plan, but I didn't. I just 
my, my philosophy is that if people like my jewellery, I'm privileged to be able to make it for them. And, um, you know, it just keeps going. So as long as it keeps going and it's not broken, I won't try and fix it. There you go. Well, who is the the typical person that, that takes a shine to see glass? Or is there such a person? There definitely is. There's, I mean, I've, I've done various things in my life, so I've mixed with various different types of personalities, shall we say. And the people that buy my jewellery genuinely are the loveliest, loveliest people. They are all... I'm not just saying that. They are so nice. <laughs> Their hearts are so kind. Um, and the, the reasons why they buy the jewellery for friends or family are just beautiful. They, there's a lot of really good people out there. That's one thing I've learned from this job. There's some really nice, thoughtful people out there. Um, and likewise with the shops I supply, there's lots of big high street chains and money makers and you know, higher fire type things. But the shops I work for are small gift shops and galleries and the owners are all a total delight. I've never come across a single person that just doesn't just doesn't operate on a really humane, beautiful level. And um, genuinely, I'm very, very fortunate that if the people that come to buy my jewellery are obviously kindred spirits in some ways that are just they, they see they see what shouldn't be beautiful and it it's turned into something beautiful. So I think that's the type of people that buy my jewellery. When you're out on the beach and uh, head down and collecting uh, little bits of sea glass, does a piece ever jump out at you? I mean, I, I know you can tell me more, but you, you create um, pendants, necklaces, uh, bracelets, rings, etc. Does a piece of glass ever just jump out at you and go, oh, this would be the perfect pendant, or oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this? Yeah, there is. I Sadly, because I have to code all my jewellery, I now go, oh, that piece would be really good for an NP303. That's how <laughs> I know pieces that will just go, yep, that'll work for that. Um, and I obviously have made jewellery for well, the 10 years. There's certain pieces get ordered more than others. Um, there's a piece that it's obviously come from the Coca-Cola bottle that we were talking about, that colour. Uh-huh. And it's a drill, a little heart um, out of the glass and it has a wee silver heart that hangs at the top and I get asked to make that more than any other piece so there's times I have to go down to the beach specifically to look for glass that will fit that design um, so I know there's a lot of pieces I just pick up just for the love of it and just you know I've got far too much sea glass here it's, it's, it is an obsession but um, there, there are pieces where I go right I'm needing to make say I've, I've got a bangle that has 50 pieces of small aqua sea glass in it and I think right I need to go down and go and collect lots of little pieces of aqua sea glass so um but yeah so yeah so when I do pick some pieces up I know exactly where they're going to end up and what they're going to look like by the end. Well one of the pieces I saw on your website that just really struck me was um, a beautiful little uh, blue butterfly uh, pendant that you had and I think that was a commission so it may not be Mm -hmm. something you do all the time but what struck me is uh, there's a piece of art uh, floats around on the internet occasionally that I've seen and and it's a blue butterfly Uh, it's actually a saltire butterfly because it's the blue blue butterfly with the white cross of the saltire in Mm -hmm. it and yeah yeah, and I saw that little butterfly and I thought oh I wonder if there's a way that she could just sort of etch it or frost accent the frosting a little bit to create that uh, that look of that uh, of the saltire mm. butterfly. Well, it, it, you could carve more into the the, the butterfly or, or any piece of sea glass, and then you could kind of texture it. But 
I'm working on something which is hopefully going to be out maybe next year, which would then actually incorporate something like that. It's uh, looking at um, working with paints and gilding and all the rest of it on sea glass. So it's, I'm just play, again, playing around at the moment and it may end up coming out next year. But yes, that, that's in the back burner and I'm, I'm kind of just starting to work on that. But yeah, that's if, if it works, I will make you a butterfly with a soul tire on it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I did want to talk to you about a commission because cobalt blue is my absolute favorite color. And, and I saw several beautiful pieces of blue uh, jewelry on your website. And when you started talking about the, the Fife blue class, I thought, oh, I found the right lady. And, and, <laughs> and, and that was another question I was going to ask because are most of your clients, I mean, let's face it, women wear a lot more jewelry than men, although nowadays that line is beginning to gray a bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm thinking, gosh, I'd love a piece of something with sea glass in it because I've sort of become fascinated with it now that I, I've only recently, I never had, a year ago, I'd never even heard of sea glass. And my, It's funny because it's so part of my life. I think, oh, how have you lived without well, sea glass in your life for so long? Well, I, I posted, when I, I, I knew we were going to do this interview. I posted a little something about it on Facebook and one of my nieces, um, my oldest niece said, what? How could you never have known of sea glass? And I grew up around the beach. I grew up on the Texas Gulf Coast. But when I was there, we were drinking beer and throwing away the bottles. We weren't going It, it was for to, art you were doing yeah. that, wasn't it? It was for all these lovely people that like to drink right. sea glass. Probably there's, there's, uh, there's probably a piece of sea glass in your collection that I'm responsible for. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. Um, but do you find a lot of um, a lot of men buying sea glasses, or is it more or less uh, a thing that's for the ladies? Um, it's m- mostly women. Um, although my husband keeps saying you need to introduce more men men's jewelry, and I have I I will be getting around to that as well. But uh, I just funnily you should say that last week I just finished. I'll be putting on my Facebook probably next week. Finished carving uh, an arrowhead out of a dark green sea glass. Mm. Um, and it was on a leather um, cord, and it's for a man. And I thought, oh, you know, it's and the sea glass lends itself to male jewelry because a lot of the pieces that come there, they're not, they're kind of a nice, nice weight about them, and there's a nice kind of chunkiness and feel about them. Uh-huh. Um, but the men that do order for their wives, uh, again, going back to they are just the most thoughtful heartfelt uh, reasons a lot of the time while they're why they order it and it's just um yeah it's it's a pleasure to to work for you know for me to spend my time making jewelry for people that give give it for such lovely reasons so um there's a lot of lovely men out there ordering jewelry for their wives i'll tell you (laughs) well tell me a bit about how does your as you say you do bespoke commission work so how does that process work i come to you and say well yeah i i I have this idea in mind how does that process work how does one get started to to have you do a, a a bespoke bit of sea glass jewelry well, um, people come to me, a lot, a lot of people come with their own uh, sea glass as well they like to, to have used, which is nice oh. because it means something to them. Okay. Um, people post me it. And, and then what I tend to do is kind of get an idea if they've seen something on the website or on the Facebook page that they like. Um, and then we can work with that. And then I sometimes send over a wee drawing to kind of so say it was a butterfly. I'll, send, I'll, I'll go on and look for pictures of butterflies and give a few examples of what could be done so they then can pick what their favourite is um, and then what I tend to do is send over if it's if it's a piece that has maybe four or five bits of sea glass in it 
um, a send over a layout of what it'll look like before I do any drilling. So then if it if it's not quite what the person was thinking of, we can just play around until we get to what they're, they're that's the thing with sea glass. There's no right and wrong. You can there's plenty to to play with. So I just work. I mean, I don't know what I would do without the internet because I just send. Uh-huh take a picture, send it over, and then they can get back to me and say, yeah, I like that, or, oh, could you move that piece over there? So we can play around, and then once it's done, I then send over a picture of the finished work. Um, And I never, ever take payment from people until they are totally happy with it, because although I have to earn a living off of this, it's not about making the money, it's about making sure the person's got exactly what they want before they then no pay for it and so that's again it's pretty simple you know you see what you like I'll play around working with the person suggestions keep working with pictures I make it and then they get to wear it and uh, it's I think I've always said somebody'd asked me what my business philosophy was and I always just say never forget that you're working with folk with other folk that are just you know good people looking for something that they would like to have and I just always remember that you're just working with another person to make something nice. So, um, so yeah, it's quite simple. And if if it's not how what the person wants at the end of the day, and they, they turn around and say, Do you know what, I don't want it, it's fine because I've had the chance to make a piece of jewellery and it's lovely. So, um, but that's never happened yet. So, but if they, if people don't want the jewellery at the end of it, it it's not n- never a major issue. Sort of thing. Yeah, well, and you could just put it into one of your shops and, and mm. surely someone will come along and buy it, I know. Yeah. Um, this is a full-time business, and as we mentioned, you have over 100 stockists um, around uh, all around Scotland. So, And you mentioned searching on the beaches there around Fife, um, mm-hmm. where you're at, uh, and also up in Shetland, where your husband is from. Uh, but on an annual basis, how much time do you spend out beachcombing for sea glass, and, and what kind of area... Uh, do you typically cover? Um, I don't. I've never actually thought about how much time I spend <laughs> on the beach. I don't know if I want to know. Um, I don't know. I'll probably go down once a week. Um, yeah, I, I get to the stage of I've not been down for a while. I get a wee bit twitchy, and I need to go down to the beach just to kind of go right, have a bit of beach time. Yeah. So probably once a week or once a fortnight, I'll go to the beaches. That, that are really close by and they are just filled one particular beach is just filled with sea glass so I really would never have to go anywhere else if I didn't want to I would never have to go to another patch of beach um, but it's anywhere do we go so if we go um, to the west coast and again my husband is in the process of writing an open water swimming book so he's visiting different places throughout Scotland to to see where the best beaches are for and safest beaches are for swimming. So wherever he goes, if he's at the west coast, he's he's out swimming and I'm just looking for sea glass. But there's a lot of beaches have none at all. You go to a beach and there's no sea glass at all. So, um, but then, like I say, you can maybe go up the coast a little bit and then there's a whole, whole bundle of it. I tend to find it's on the beaches that have a lot of rubble and stones. It's not your pretty seaside picnic beaches that has the sea glass it tends to be the more rugged um like i say pebbly rocky shorelines that i find Hmm. sea glass on i was i was going to ask then i I assume it's possible for tourists like myself people who come Hmm. from north america or anywhere around the world and visit scotland to to take a wander down a beach and if you find a bit of sea glass pick it up put it in your pocket and bring it home Mm -hmm. yeah there's no it's not um 
protected. Um, we have a, a thing called the Outdoor Access Code here in Scotland, which basically means that the country belongs to everybody, provided you do not spoil it. You keep its right. natural beauty. It's almost the only thing you leave behind is a footprint, and that's um, that, that. And then you walk on and take your rubbish with you. Ironically, <laughs> even though sea glass is rubbish. Um, so you can, yeah, you can collect it. And I know if you are collecting it to sell as a business, so what I'm doing, um, as long as you are not then preventing somebody else doing exactly the same, it's okay. Um, you're not supposed to take away pebbles or shells uh, from the beach because they are the beach. The sea glass is rubbish and shouldn't be there, but the shells and the pebbles are actually part of the beach. So they are technically supposed to be left Um so I never ever, I've got my two shells, I take my photographs of my um, sea glass jewellery once it's finished and that's about the only shells I've got in my workshop. So um, although the shells would disintegrate eventually anyway, but uh, yes. Yeah, so, so yes, you can, if you come over and pick up a piece, you're not going to get, you're not going to get um, stopped at the airport when you're on your way home. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in truth, you're actually then helping to delitter the uh, the Scottish beaches by carrying exactly. away a bit of rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> it's some. Again, sadly, you do find far too much rubbish on the beach. Yeah. But Scotland is making a huge effort to keep the beaches clean. And again, like I say, I'm proud proud to be Scottish for the their environmental contribution. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad there's sea glass on the beach. <laughs> even though it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any particular? Um, I don't don't give away your, your you know your secret honey holes, but is there mm. any particular hot spots you would recommend for uh, tourists who maybe decide uh, that they'd like to go over and and take a stroll, see if they can find a bit of yeah. Scottish sea glass, if, bring it home as a souvenir. If tourists were coming; they probably would be coming to like Edinburgh, um, your bigger cities, and um, yeah. and it's a beautiful city. So, um, the first the fourth is the body of water, the water estuary that runs just outside to the north of Edinburgh. And that has is a major fishing and um, trade route that has been over the years. It's also where, the, on the other side of the River Forth, is Fife, where I am at, and that's where the glass factories were. So there's a good chance if you go along the Firth of Forth coastline, you'll find some sea glass. And if you don't find sea glass, just have a wee wander further up the coast because there's plenty there because I do get a lot from, from the, the shoreline of that estuary. So that would be a good place to go. Um, and anywhere up the Fife coastline, if people were coming, because, again, it's a beautiful coastline. Um, so places like Ely, um, that, that's got a good collection. A beach called Petit Cure, um, it's got a lovely collection and really lovely chunky bits as well but small chunky bits so again they were quite close to where the glass factories were so if you were choosing if you had to choose two beaches um with maybe a bit more unusual ely beach and petticure beach are both um good beaches for a visit and they're, they're beautiful places to to visit as well so that would be my tip Okay, and um, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I was reading there is such there is sea glass, and there's something called beach glass. Sea glass comes from the ocean, from the saltwater bodies. Beach glass is generally uh, used in reference to uh, glass found along freshwater um, estuaries, uh, rivers, and uh, lakes, or as they would call them in Scotland, lochs. And well, yeah, that's right, that, 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 yeah, thank you. <laughs> I work hard on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Do you do you dabble at all in that? Is there any collecting of that going on in Scotland you're aware of? And and what are are there any significant differences between sea glass and beach glass? Or I, I like the sound of loch glass. You know, <laughs> I have found some loch glass before, but um, it doesn't tend to be as finished off as matte looking because there's just not the the loch's a body of water um, surrounded by land, so there's not really the tides or currents you would say so yeah. it doesn't get moved around so much so you'd often if you find some uh glass along the shores of the loch then it's um tends to be not as finished off as the, the only way i would describe it um i tend to work just with sea glass i mean sea beach glass it, it kind of looks the same really to be perfectly honest it's, it comes back depending on again how the tide works and if it's come into a shoreline that's very rugged and there's lots of rocks it's bashing it can be much more pounded looking and a lot more powdery looking once it dries out it's just because it's been battered more than you know yeah. the, but if you then have a uh, sea glass on a kind of sandier beach it's had time to go back and forward over the the shoreline every time the tide comes in and out and every time that's happening it's, it's like sandpaper on wood it's just gently smoothing it off so the some of the pieces you find um, on the less rough sea or beach, um, are much more—they're they're much more jewel-like in their finished appearance and not quite so powdery. Once you're, what happens with sea glass? It when it goes into the water, it shines and it's all the colours come out. And then when it dries up, it has a kind of powdery coat that goes that just just naturally appears on it. So the powdery coat on the smoother shorelines is less obvious. So it depends on what look you like, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I quite like it not quite so powdery. Um, but the and the, the beaches that I go to, or the it would be the sea because it's in the North Sea, um, is they're a wee bit smoother. Um, so the pieces I tend to collect more are less powdery uh, at the end result. Like anything, once it becomes popular, there are imitations, knockoffs, if you will. Mm. And I was reading there is such a thing as, sadly, as artificial beach glass or in some case, mm-hmm. or sea glass, and in some cases, something called twice tossed, which reminded me immediately of a twice baked potato. I'm not sure why, <laughs> but um, it, it's one is artificial where it's just shards of glass that a, a, an artisan or a craftsman will take and and use a mechanical tumbler to give it that uh, that sea glass appearance and the twice tossed i guess is a glass that maybe they find along a beach that isn't i guess a particularly nice piece and you can take it and again throw it into like a, a mechanical cement mixer mm-hmm. i suppose and toss it around enough until it takes on that that look um is that becoming prevalent and as a person who deals with in the the industry of sea glass jewelry, do you do consumers now have to be more and more aware of whether they're dealing with genuine, you know, the genuine product or perhaps man-made sea glass? Mm-hmm. I think um, we, we call it craft glass across here in Scotland. If people were buying craft glass, it tends to be the manufactured, you know, frosted glass. Uh-huh. It's for me. I don't know. Maybe it's because I I've got such a love of sea glass and I've worked with sea glass for so long. There's, it's just not got the same feel. There's something about the sea glass that has... I, I can't describe it. I'm actually trying to rub it in my hands just now to try and get the right... The, the craft glass that I've ever seen, beads and things, it's just too 
perfectly finished off, if that makes sense, where the sea glass has got the imperfections and the and that's what's beautiful about it. So, um, but yeah, I think if you are buying, if you're, I think if you're buying sea glass jewellery, it's worth like that. Just having a wee read of the website, and you'll get a feel for. And I, I think if they, if they're mass producing too much, I mean, I make a lot of sea glass jewellery, but I'm working every hour that's uh, that's available. I couldn't make any more. But if they, if somebody's able to sell sea glass on a mass scale, which all looks awful similar i would question its authenticity but um it could well be i mean i've been asked before people have said do you really get that off the beach and i just have to say come and look at my house because you can't move <laughs> for sea glass it's embarrassing yeah. <laughs> but yeah I think be, be, be vigilant and maybe just kind of you'll probably find most of the people that are working with sea glass are individuals like myself where there's there's not that mainstreamness about it i think as soon as something becomes mainstream it's probably losing its um its realness if for want of a better word yeah probably going on to amazon.com or amazon.co.uk mm. is not the best place to go if you're going to look for a piece of uh, genuine yeah. sea glass i think i think that that's it and, and because each piece is if, if, if something like myself is working with the sea glass it actually means something every time i make make a piece i know it sounds silly but i just and so there's there's a bit of heart and soul goes into it, and I think I think people appreciate that. And I think if you're not getting that feeling, it's probably there's something along the lines slipped. Yeah, we talked about the history, and we've talked about you mentioned particularly how sea glass can be a reflection of society from generations ago, mm-hmm. and yet you and I both know that more and more products are are using plastic. We've talked about rubbish mm-hmm. on the beaches, and that's a huge problem. As more and more products are turned to plastic. Certainly wine bottles, uh, whiskey bottles, there, there are many products that are still produced in glass, but so many Vaseline jars, for example, are now plastic. Um, uh, you know, just you could go on and on and on as to the number mm-hmm. of things, or even soft drinks are now more popular and are in plastic bottles and, and aluminum cans as opposed to the old traditional green Coke bottle. Um, yeah. Is there... Is there any concern, any real danger that one day sea glass will become, I guess for lack of a better term, extinct, will become harder and harder harder to find because mankind just is not producing the amount of glass that we did at at an earlier stage in society? Do you know, you you think a funny thing, say, I I hope it does, genuinely. It won't happen in my lifetime. Um, There's there's still far too much glass coming in on the beach. I hope it does because that then means... We've stopped littering the oceans, which are uh, are suffocating from yeah. our our behaviour, or it, it's been recycled and reused properly. Um, because the only reason why it's there and I get to use it is because somebody else threw it in there and it shouldn't have been in there in the first place. So it would be a lovely, lovely day when there wasn't any sea glass left. It would be a shame because it's so beautiful, but for mankind, I think it would be a lovely thing because hopefully. If the sea glass isn't there, then the plastics, which is devastating the oceans just now, will be. And I know in, in Britain we've had it just this last month. There's a huge push to reduce plastics. Um, things are getting banned left, right, and centre. Um, plastic straws, baby wipes, all this are getting banned and in, in use in this country because of the fact they don't end up in the correct place where they should. So. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, if there was no sea glass, I would hope the knock-on effect would be the plastics would go 
you know, wouldn't be in the sea and that can only be a good thing for marine life because it is, it's suffocating because of man's behaviour just now. Yeah, well said. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not Scottish, but I am particularly proud of my Scott ancestry for, as you say, Scotland takes a very leading role in, in the environment. I've been amazed at the, uh, uh, the no straw movement that's going on in the country, banning plastic straws. But um, I've been impressed with the steps that Scotland is taking in, in, in wind, energy, and so many other areas of the environment. Mm-hmm. Scotland really is leading the world in, in a lot of cases. Um, I guess to wrap things up then, for someone who, like you, maybe has or feels a, a, the urge and a passion coming on about sea glass, wants to get involved in, in collecting it, uh, for whatever reason, what kind of advice would you have for them to uh, to start to discover the beauty of sea glass? I think the first most important bit of advice is once you start, you'll never stop. So you have to <laughs> hand your life over to sea glass. That's the first thing. <laughs> it's uh, it, it becomes addictive, and but you know it's in all seriousness, just go and look. Go, you know what what's the the best thing about collecting sea glass is you're out in the fresh air. It's peaceful. You can go down to the beach feeling tense or grumpy and you come back from the beach and you've got no cares in the world. So it's therapy in itself. Um, so go just look along the coastline. My advice would be, I know certainly here in Scotland, it's sometimes the more rugged looking beaches or places that are quite populated uh, by restaurants and bars or like that. If you know glass has been produced in the in the past, it may be worth looking up to see was there any glass factories or glass production going on here 50 years ago? Because the chances are there'll be glass coming up. So if you are wanting to look for a beach, maybe look at the history of the landscape around. Um, and then after that, there's never a right or wrong with with sea glass. You can't go wrong with it. Um, so play around. You can wrap wire around it if you want to You know, start off with it not drilling. Um, you can make it into stained glass pieces just by gluing it onto a, a, another piece of window pane. You can, um, so it's just working. And as I think what I find with sea glass is if you see a design that's made out of metal or made out of something else, you can pretty much replace components with the sea glass and it transforms the design. So if you see something you like, but you want to use sea glass, just, just do it. Um, I'm like I say, I'm no expert because I've just worked my way to where I am today. But you know, just don't hold yourself back. Go and find a sea glass and just have fun with it because there's a lot of serious things going on inside the world just now, and sea glass isn't one of them. It's it's there to make you feel better. So just get a bucket and go. Get a bucket and go. That sounds like pretty good advice to me. My thanks, as always, to my guest, Gaynor Hebden-Smith, and for her taking the time to share with us her fascination with the magic that is sea glass. A link to her website shop and other online stops where you can learn more are found in our show notes at www.underthetartansky.scot. Gaynor's company, Scottish Sea Glass, is part of a unique group of artisan businesses throughout Scotland joined in an association under the umbrella of ShopScotland.com. For anyone searching for unique made-in-Scotland products, ShopScotland is a one-stop directory for ease in locating some of the finest in creative talent. Whether it's jewelry, textiles, ceramics, woodworking, fashion, giftware, or something entirely different, ShopScotland.com is a good place to start. 
We hope to tell you more about this unique marketing concept in a future episode. And if Gaynor's story has you wanting to know more about the magical beauty of sea glass, you might want to check out the North American Sea Glass Association. A link to their website is also in our show notes. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev agas alpa gabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.